The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry Podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry speaks with Susan Turnbull, the founder and principal of Personal Legacy Advisors, on the subject of an introduction to ethical wills. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Harry. Great to be here. Yeah, we've known each other a long time, and as the uh, intro said, you're from your company is called Personal Legacy Advisors, and you're the author of The Wealth of Your Life. The, the Guide to Creating an Ethical Will, which I've uh, known and used about for, should I say, decades, for a long time now. And uh, it's a, gr- a great guide. And I thought we'd start, i just ask you kind of a real intro question. What is an ethical will? Well, it's uh, great to have the opportunity to talk about this and to acknowledge right off the bat that the term ethical will is kind of an off-putting term, I think. And it doesn't tell you what it is at all. Kind of like estate do- planning, which <laughs> yeah, everyone, like everyone, thinks, planning. everyone thinks, I don't have an estate, so why why? Why do I have to bother? Exactly. So an ethical will is, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history in a few minutes, but the short answer to an ethical will is it's a personal letter. Sometimes it can be a a recording, a video recording or an audio recording, but historically it is a letter that a person writes to people who are important to them that shares information that they want to make sure that their audience, which is usually family members, but can be trustees or successors to a philanthropic instrument, but to people who are important to you to share some of the things that you want to make sure that they understand from you without question. So it is an instrument of intentional communication and it is has a fascinating history, so I'm happy to kind of jump into that and how, how, how I found out about it. So I'm for many years, I was a freelance journalist, and I wrote a lot of personal interest stories for newspapers mostly, and I had some extraordinary conversations, some really profound conversations with people, and I often wondered... Do, uh, who knows some of these stories and some of these thoughts and reflections? Do their family members know these things? And... I always thought that you had to write an autobiography to be able to create kind of a record of of your life and some of the things that were important to you, what you'd learned and so forth. But I ran across the idea of the ethical will that comes out of the Jewish tradition. This happened in early 2001. I read about this idea. And when I learned about what it was, I thought, oh, this is very beautiful. Anyone can do this. You don't need to write an autobiography. You can actually capture the essence of what you want to make sure you've transmitted in a letter. It doesn't have to be a long involved book. And I had first learned about ethical wells, as I said, in early 2001. And I learned that around 800 years ago, it became obvious that there was expected that Jewish fathers write to their sons kind of a treatise about what it would mean, a letter of instruction, really, what it would mean to live a worthy or, or ethical life. And I was fascinated by this idea. I went and did a lot of research, went to the synagogue in Boston. That's not my faith, but I I went down to the synagogue, went to the library, read a whole lot about them, and they're really, really interesting to read. So these very old ones, you can still hear the voices of the fathers saying, I'm not that different than you. I walked this earth too. There might be something Mm -hmm. that I have to teach you. Interesting, probably... They back 800 years ago, they weren't that much different from who we are today. 
They're really not. They're really not. Now, the letters are intended to be instructive. So they are very prescriptive. This is, this is what I want you to know. They're very kind of top down. But what I loved about them was this idea that, that, that people believed that the most important gift that they could give to their children was a good life, mm-hmm. was how to live a good life. And what the fathers are doing is thinking, this is my interpretation of what a good life is. Mm-hmm. They're standing for something unapologetically saying, these are my values. These are the traditions. This is a spiritual tradition. This is really important to me. And I want to make sure you understand it because I think this is the key to a good life. And I think that that feels to our modern ears kind of unnatural because we don't like to think that we know better that we're going to we people we kind of think that people need to sort of discover their own path right and but i like the sort of steadiness the wisdom the evident love of the parents of those old letters who were saying this is a gift i can give you and so i just was really inspired by them and i thought i also thought wow this is actually the missing piece of estate planning it fills a hole because in contemporary estate planning, it's all about the transmission of the financial goods. Exactly. So the idea that you would also think with intention about what do I want to communicate about what's either for personal reasons or for practical reasons, that is, was to me, something that is a, it was a giant hole. And I say that as a consumer, having done a couple of, going through the process of estate planning a couple of times, there isn't really the opportunity to say, what is it that I really want my loved ones to really understand, to know and understand? Of course, I'm going to be transmitting a lot of that to my loved ones as I'm going through my life. That's what I was thinking. Training. I mean, ho- yeah. hopefully in terms of values, yeah. you conveyed that while, while the do. kids were little and during your, exactly. your life and their whole lives. Exactly. And no letter is going to fill in for the way you've been living your life. But in terms of thinking, what do I want to put down on paper that I want them to have for me forever? It's going to live beyond my lifetime, which and is maybe go is a from, different letter. from children to grandchildren to great exactly, exactly. I mean, I have letters in my attic that my grandparents saved from their parents. Mm-hmm. They weren't called ethical wills, but they're amazing to read. What a treasure! And people don't throw letters away. I think letters now seem very old fashioned, and that's mm-hmm. actually one of the things I think makes them powerful now is because right. they are a different medium and it does take effort to write them and and they and people do not throw them away. So so that's sort of a little bit of the background about ethical wills and where I saw that they really fit in with contemporary estate planning. They plug a hole. They give the opportunity for people to think to themselves, what do I want to make sure my loved ones get from me in terms of tangible assets and then what do I want to make sure that they know and understand from me? that I'd like to put down in some kind of enduring way in a letter. But it sounds like there's been a bit of a shift from the, those old Jewish ethical wills, which really more, which really were more ethical wills right. to today being more almost a legacy of telling some fam, almost some family history. Is that right? They could include family history. So that's one of the things to definitely talk about is, well, what would somebody cover in one? And that really, and I also want to emphasize that these are, it's not just one letter. Someone might want to write a letter to a group of people or individual letters to different people or some kind of theme and variation of a common letter and then and then individual letters. My ethical will is a file. It's a bunch of letters. Mm-hmm. So when I say ethical will, 
there's no such thing as a unique one. And people really take this idea and go in all different kinds of directions with it. But they tend not to be very long because they're letters. And so a 20 page legacy letter, and I will say that I often use the term legacy letter instead of ethical will. I was going to ask you about that. It's a little bit softer and it's it's Mm -hmm. more tells you what it is. Um, that a 20-page legacy letter would be long. So I've seen many examples of just a page or Uh a couple of pages that are beautiful because what you're trying to do is to transmit things that are time is is one of the things you're trying to get across. But when people think about, well, how does this really apply to me? And what would I talk about? Why why would I want to do it? And what would I talk about in it? Oftentimes, especially in the context of a person doing an estate plan, what seems really important to people is to communicate something about the money in context. So a Mm -hmm. lot of people have a concern that the money is not going to be understood. It's not going to be appreciated. It's not going to be valued. And so a lot of people use this in in, in terms of where it fits in their estate plan with an opportunity to share the story about where the money came from and what built the money. What's the story behind mm-hmm. the assets? Sometimes that's a business. Sometimes it comes from an inheritance. Sometimes it's just, it's from a lifetime of savings. There's stories behind all that where it doesn't just come out of nowhere. And then what are my, what do I know? What are, what are my values about money? What are our mm-hmm. values about money? Right. And, and plenty of these documents are also written, I should say, by couples. So if you are writing it as a couple, then you can create sort of her voice, his voice, and your voice together. You can use different fonts to do that, or you can actually create separate letters if you wish. But what do we believe? What do I believe money can buy and not buy? What are our values about money? What are our values about philanthropy? Why did we set up the estate plan the way that we did? And I think you probably know more than anyone that when communication isn't clear about intent, And sometimes it's um, easier to put down in writing what intention is than it is to be able to say it face to face. You want to make sure it's really clear. So why did we set the things up the way that we did? And to be able to explain the estate plan in plain English is a huge, a huge value to the heirs. So that kind of, and then what do we hope the money can do for you Mm -hmm. um, and in your life? And letters of wishes to trustees are also sorts of ethical wills in that they're non-binding side documents to a legal document. And you also know from your work about how trustees pull their hair out when they're trying to figure out what intent really is. Right. <laughs> was, because the trust documents are so bare bones. Right. So to be able to go into some kind of explanation about, well, what do I think is an appropriate distribution when it comes to health maintenance, welfare, and support, and what I think is inappropriate that's of huge value to trustees. So that's another place it really fits. Where is intentional communication important? And where would a document like this be really valuable for my heirs or my trustees or my successors? So, so on that point, I saw on your website that you have another guidebook across yes. generations, which, sound, which looks like it's to guide trustees. It's, that's for successors to philanthropic instruments. Oh, okay. So very, very similar, but mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing where someone else is going to be acting on your behalf. Then what do you want them to know about why you set up that philanthropic instrument? Mm-hmm. What's your vision, vision for the future? And what is the story behind that? So that's what that guidebook is all about. Someone that set up a donor advice fund or a family foundation that's going to be taken over by somebody else. So I think what you say about trusts and trustees is, is absolutely trust usually don't give a whole lot of guidance to trustees. And not only do they have trouble knowing the grantor's intent, I think what happens when you don't know the grantor's intent is you 
impose your own values and which may or may not be consistent with the mm -hmm. grantor. I mean, if it's, um, if it's a, a sort of a personal trustee or a family member trustee, there's a good chance that um, the grantor chose the trustee because they knew the person's values and, and shared them and it probably works pretty well. But if it's a professional trustee, a, a bank, a trust company, an attorney, they could have personally any sort of sets of values and, and who knows what they will decide and whether it's consistent with what the, the grantors wanted. Yeah, and in a situation where the original trustee that was working with the family either leaves the company, mm -hmm. retires, the successor to that person really has no idea. Yeah, uh, And I worked with a couple once who was writing a letter of wishes to their trustees, and they put in the most extraordinary phrase in it. They said that because they were entrepreneurs, they wanted the trustee to know that it was okay with them if the trust lost money mm -hmm. in the pursuit or you know, if one of their beneficiaries wanted to start a business and it provided that they had a, a pretty decent business plan, it was okay with them if the trust lost money because they were entrepreneurs and they knew this is somehow how it worked. Well, most trustees, if they didn't know that, they would think they were irresponsible. Right, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. that was, and probably most attorneys wouldn't want that language to actually go in the trust document, but they really wanted the trustee to know it. So one thing that I also say, because I'm not an attorney and I'm really sensitive to, I want to make sure that nothing in that legal document would ever cloud what was in the, I mean, nothing in the mm -hmm. ethical would ever bind anything, whatever cause yeah. a problem. I always say to people, if you're going to talk about what's in your estate plan or explain your intentions, you should really run it by your attorney. Just so, yeah. so you know, just so they know that it's out there. Yeah. So it doesn't cloud it because an ethical will is not going to hold water in a court of law, but that doesn't mean it couldn't cause confusion about intent. Yeah. And I think you talked earlier about the importance of putting all of this in writing. And I just, I guess, want to emphasize that based on my experience, because people's, people's memories change over time and people's understanding of what was said. I mean, we, we often, in lots of situations where there's agreements among clients and family members, we always say, put it in writing, because mm -hmm. no one's really going to remember for sure what they agreed to or what their parents told them, and it's unless they have something to go back to, some reference. That's such a good point. So, so, so I think this is in, incredibly important, and and probably a lot of people think about doing this, but what what kind of gets in their way? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question because when whenever anyone hears about this idea, most everybody says that is such a good idea. And they oftentimes say, I really wish that my mother or my grandmother, whoever, I really wish I had something from them. Mm -hmm. I wish they'd done something like this. That would have meant so much to me. But then they actually sit down to do it. And they say, well, actually, I think I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> because they have all these voices that start crowding in the crowding themselves in their brains like saying like well actually i'm not ready I'm, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon i'm too young to do this i'm not wise enough at all maybe next year i'll have it together <laughs> <laughs> and i'll know what i want to say but i'm really not sure where i would start or what I would want to say, or if I even have anything to say. And maybe nobody's interested. And I certainly don't want to tell them. I do certainly don't want to imply that I know more than they do. I don't intend to give them a lecture. That's not what I want to do. 
And God, maybe it would really get emotional. Maybe this would make me cry. I just, and, and I'm not an emotional person or I'm not even a very good writer. So mm -hmm. all these things start crowding in people's brains and they say, I'll do it. And so the advice that I, or what I always want to say to people is, okay, would you have wanted, name an ancestor who's no longer here. Would you have wanted that ancestor to say, I don't really think anybody would be interested. I don't have anything to say. My life hasn't been that interesting. And I don't want to tell them what to do. I don't want to imply that. So I don't think I'm going to do it. I mean, would you have wanted someone else to make that choice for you? And so everybody says, well, no, I'm not going to make that choice for you because of course I would want to hear from them. Of course I wouldn't want to know. Of course I would want to have that. People hold on to scraps of things that people have left for them, cards and scraps of evidence of them. People don't throw away stuff that's important to them that is represents someone that they loved. And it does not have to be long. And that's the other thing that I really emphasize is that even just a paragraph is a beautiful thing. So try to put yourself in the position of the recipient, mm -hmm. whoever that is, and to understand that this would be something that they would probably really treasure from you. So that's my first bit of advice is try to get out of your own way. So why don't we break here and in the next episode, we'll start, we'll talk some more about how people can get over these obstacles and what tools they can use to actually get an ethical will accomplished. And of course, one of the tools is uh, your website and your guidebook. And you know, maybe you could just say a few words about how people can find those. Okay, well, you can find those things on my website, which is personallegacyadvisors.com. And the guidebook is really intended to be a way to right off the bat understand what this is. And then it's, it's, it's a workbook. It's in a workbook style. So there's lots of room to make notes and to noodle and to think. You would then go and take your notes and then create the letter in a, on a piece of paper or a computer, but gives you lots of prompts and questions and examples. Thank you, Susan. What's the URL for your website if anyone's interested in yeah, learning more or signing up for the workshop? Thank you so much, Harry. It's personallegacyadvisors.com. Advisors it's, is ORS. ORS. And there's two L's in the middle for personal and legacy. Mm -hmm. Personallegacyadvisors.com. Thank you very much, Susan. I think this is uh, very interesting to me and I think I hope uh, helpful to our listeners. Thank you very much, Harry. I love being your guest. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.